Welcome to the Western Vowel Podcast Series, with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. It was given by Regina Sarah Ryan on June 25th, 2022, via Zoom. Regina is the editor of Home Press, a workshop leader, retreat guide, and author of The Woman Awake, Igniting the Inner Life, Praying Dangerously, Only God, and other books. In this talk, she raises questions for us to consider about the worlds that we create for ourselves, the world we want to stop, and where we would go if we got off. Early in the talk, Regina plays the song, What Kind of Fool Am I?, from the Broadway musical, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. The song is not included in this podcast for copyright reasons, but feel free to listen to it on YouTube. The talk also includes references to her teacher, Lee Lozowick, to the Indian master Yogi Ramsarat Kumar, and to the French master Arnaud Desjardins. If there is benefit in this talk for you, please consider sharing the link to it or writing a review on social media or on one of the podcast platforms. Regina Sarah Ryan. Thank you to all my friends, new and old, for coming tonight. It's always lovely and, and always a surprise who's going to show up. Let's begin by creating intention. I invoke the guidance of my beloved teacher, Lee, and my beloved Mahaguru, Yogi Ramsarat Kumar, in the possibility that uh, something useful may transpire among us. And I invite you to create intention through your participation, uh, because I really will be relying upon you for things to say and where we go with this. So since I gave that topic, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, several people have said to me, great title. I can't wait till I hear what you have to say about that. Maybe you came because that topic just sounded so enticing or weird or something. So I'd really like to hear what is it about that phrase that got you or didn't. Let me know. Go ahead and just raise your hand and unmute yourself and let's hear from you. I used to say that a lot. Stop the world. Let me off. Because I had a hard time handling reality. Not that I don't still, but I had a real rough time and felt that sincerely. Stop. I want off. It struck home with me. I think that's something that anyone who is sincerely on the spiritual path is grappling with what we call in Buddhism, samsara, and the world. And it's always been a, a very difficult dance for me of how do I reconcile my spiritual path with the worldly path. So when I come down from the mountain from retreat, I was very unhappy to be back in the world. So I certainly had that in the beginning of my practice. And thank goodness, 
that um, is changing, but it's still there. It's still that little nugget of, really? This is what I signed up for? <laughs> well, I would say for myself that it's critical to practice with the energies in the world these days of divisiveness. There's so much of that, that you'd want to say, stop the world, I want to get off. And on the other hand, realize that there is such benefit to practicing in this situation and how to practice for the benefit of others also in this time it just seems very poignant. My feeling today is I want to get off this train. I find what's happening in the world just devastating. My sense is I just want to hole up and do sadhana. I have an inner smile that won't go away. I'm, I'm just kind of a wreck mm. with what's happening in our world. That's deeply felt. You know, the practice is to not check out, to be fully present and responsive, whether it's full of darkness, full of light, full of joy, full of sorrow. And I've been so devastated. Reality, it can be brutal. It is sweet and nice, and it's not sweet and nice too. Instead of stop the world, I want to get off. Sometimes things are absolutely overwhelming. And to just allow ourselves to be overwhelmed because we want to control things. So stop the world, I want to get off is about saying, I can't control this, so I want to check out. I know sadhana is the way to go, but in all honesty, sometimes I don't even want to do that. I do, but I don't always want to. I'm so moved. I'm inspired once again to remind you that this is a work chamber that's been invoked and that we are speaking a truth from our own experience that can have great value for everyone here. And that I'm facilitating this conversation. And I may take it in a way that is very different from what some of you have said. But I really deeply appreciate that you are contributing the way you are. Maybe one more reaction to that title, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. I picked up a book written by someone who wrote about his experiences with the Dalai Lama. And uh, he was talking about conflict and talking about when you have a certain hatred about a person or a situation, and it's not something you easily let go of. And he was questioning the Dalai Lama, and the Dalai Lama was saying, love and compassion is really the highest road no matter what. And then he questioned him and said, well, is that true in all cases? And the Dalai Lama said, well, I'll, I'll need to consider that. And then later he thought about having doubted that particular component of what he asked the Dalai Lama in view of the fact that for 40 years, people have been coming from Tibet talking about huge suffering, huge loss, violence, Everything you can imagine happening to the Tibetan people and the Dalai Lama would just sit there and listen to them with a heart of sadness and deep, deep compassion. But he never turned against the Chinese for having gone into Tibet. So to me, that was a beautiful answer. 
And he also said that without conflict, without adversity, without those things that really get us riled up, how do we ever really truly get an opportunity to practice patience and compassion? Thank you so much. Wow, I feel well-fed already. We'll continue on, but this is really, really a gift to me. So thank you deeply for what you're sharing. Yeah, you know, um, we'll probably look at this topic in a couple of different ways, from the most ridiculous, perhaps, or funny, to some of the most sublime ways we could look at this topic. But uh, what it calls up for me right away is this escape fantasy. I don't want to dismiss it as being something that's all, you know, worldly and material. I think there's something to be looked at in where are you going to go to if you stop the world and you get off? We've probably all had some kind of idea of where we're going to go to get out of here, like an escape fantasy. And it could be something as fun as going to Tahiti and living on the beach, or it could be something esoteric, like I'm going to go to a cave in the Himalayas and I'm just going to meditate forever. So there's a whole range of possibilities of what our escape fantasies might be. Mine are very holy. I'm going to go on to different retreat centers all over the world, and that's going to be the way I'm going to escape from this world that I want to stop. So I'm looking at that as something that speaks something to me. Is anybody willing to share uh, an escape fantasy of theirs? That phrase, stop the world, I want to get off, implies that there's some place to get off to from what is. I recently did escape. I decided I am leaving for a while. I need a reprieve. I'm leaving. It wasn't quite the fantasy I had expected it might be in terms of that escape. Mm-hmm. But that was a, a real eye-opener mm-hmm. that the fantasy is going to bring me more reality a lot of times than what reality I'm trying to escape from in the moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's really beneficial to take that topic and see what did that mean to you? If you stop the world and you get off, where are you going to get off to? What is it that you imagine you're going to die and you're going to be in the next bardo or the next realm of creation or whatever. But it's just interesting to see what it is that we want to get to. It's just worth asking that question of ourselves. But I want to say also that the urge to escape or the urge to stop, the urge to get off is absolutely normal. We have this as a part of every activity that we encounter in life. In terms of the forces at play in our lives, there is a wholly affirming force or a force that moves us forward. And then there is a wholly denying force or a wholly resisting force that wants to push against something or keep us stuck where we are and grit our teeth into something. And then there is a wholly reconciling force which attempts to bring those two together. But I think sometimes as spiritual practitioners, we get the idea that resistance is some kind of a demon. We have demonized the fact that we find resistance in ourselves to various things. So the fact that we want to stop, that we want to get away, that this is too much for us and all of that, not only is it 
food for an interesting inquiry about the nature of fantasy of what we would do. But it's also very interesting to see that this is normal and that resistance to pain and suffering and the way things are is just a normal part of life's process. So that's part one of what I've brought today, just a couple of considerations along that line. And I want to move into part two, which is uh, my story in relationship to this topic. I grew up on Long Island. My parents were great fans of Broadway shows and musicals. And they would go to all the Broadway shows and then they'd come home and they'd bring us the album and they'd play us the albums. And I had three younger sisters at the time. My brothers came later, but the four of us would learn every musical and we'd sing it constantly and we would act it out. And then they brought home this Broadway show starring Anthony Newley. And the name of the show was Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. And that was cool. The show had a lot of songs, but you know how in every Broadway show, there's one or two standouts that really hit. So does anybody know what the standout song from that show was? Some of you are as old as I am. There's not a song, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. But there's a standout song out of that show. Well, I I was living in London for a while and actually saw him in that. And I can't remember anything about it, except I think he he played the devil, didn't he? No, he plays a clown. He's a clown. So the story of Stop the World I Want to Get Off is that there's this little clown and he's very small. And I think his name is even Little Self, something like that, which is kind of interesting. He's the lowest in the circus crowd. But slowly, slowly, he falls in love with the daughter of the circus owner and he rises up in the ranks and he marries her. And then his life opens up and he becomes passionate for everything about the world, but nothing is quite always exactly as he wants it. So every time he has a setback in life, he cries out, stop the world, I want to get off. Until finally, he has exhausted all kinds of things, money and sex and addictions and everything. And he's totally unhappy. And his daughter has a child who is dying. And he recognizes he's getting old now that he could offer himself to the fates so that that child could live. So it's one of these transformational pieces. But before that moment, before that last moment, he sings the song that reveals the pain of his life. And the song is, What Kind of Fool Am I? So some of you may know that song, and some of you may not. But I actually have it that I want to play for you. If you'd like a little entertainment, I know this is supposed to be really serious stuff tonight, but I'd like to just give you a little taste of Anthony Newley as the clown singing his life story. Broadway show tunes became a part of the practice that I did with Lee for many years because he had us singing Broadway show tunes in order to work our mood. But the point I want to make with his piece was the words that he was using. It seems that I'm the only one that I have been thinking of. And that was the cause of his 
incredible suffering throughout his life. And that song has become a standard for a lot of Las Vegas show people. Sammy Davis Jr. did it and Frank Sinatra and these people because it was such a powerful piece of music. But I think it also speaks to the human condition that self-absorption is never the source of our happiness. And only then, when I can learn to really love, will I know what kind of fool I am. Gurdjieff, that's the fourth way, is basically my path. He says that mankind has been committing these atrocities to one another since the beginning of man. And since I started my practice, I can see the chaos in mankind. I read and I, and I meditate and I really try and work on attention. And I find that the more I focus on that, the less consequences or the less damaging, self-serving. I, I could even do it to somebody without knowing and hurt their feelings because I thought of myself first. But being in practice now, I'm aware of this. Another thing that helps me with this stop the world is I came from homelessness 35 years ago. So where I am today, I have a lot of gratitude and I watch the news and I see everything that's going on. And a lot of it, I can't do nothing about it. A lot of people, they don't see, I don't know if the bigger picture is the right word for it or another picture another way of looking at life. Thank you so much. It just segues into where I want to go with this now. This is the third point I want to make in the talk. What the phrase is, is stop the world. I want to get off. And I want to make a distinction between world and earth. So the person is not saying, of course, stop the earth from rotating because we would know immediately that that would be totally ridiculous. But they're using this word world. Stop the world. So my question, my point of inquiry at this point is, what do we mean when we talk about the world? We're all using it. Everybody here so far has used it. The world has gone this way. The world is like this. The world is terrible or the world is beautiful or the world is wonderful. I want to make that distinction. Are we saying stop the world and what is the world that we're stopping? Or are we saying, I want to stop my world? And which world? I have a few worlds. And I guess that you do too. And I'm creating new ones all the time. And I would guess that you are too. So every time I enter into a new configuration of people, I create a new world. Every time I come up with a new idea or something I'd like to initiate in some groups that I'm working in or even in St. Mary's Food Bank that I participate in. I'm creating a new world all the time. And there's many aspects of that new world that are very limited. They're limited by 
my way of thinking. They're limited by my prejudices. They're limited by my addictions. They're limited by the people around me who are telling me what that world means or should look like. So I'm proposing that we're not wanting to stop the earth. The talk is not about how to stop the world in some broad sense in the way you've defined the world to be, the political system and human suffering and poverty and so on. Of course, I would like to make an impact there, as you would too. I think the more important question that we who are on some kind of a spiritual path are asking is a stopping of a world that we have created and many different worlds that we have created. I'm talking essentially about stopping the world-making mind. And I'm asking what stops the world-making mind and of what value is it to stop the world-making mind or the mind that makes worlds all the time. Because I hear people describing their worlds, many different worlds, and a lot of them have words like, I'm overwhelmed. So their world is an overwhelm world, or their world is a rat race, or their world is a hamster wheel, or their world is never enough for me, or the world is no rest for the weary, or their world is chronic pain. So I'm posing this question, what does it mean to stop my world, one or more of my worlds? And I'm going to let that question hang for a moment and ask you for feedback. I'm really interested in this continuing as a bit of sharing and conversation. What stops the world? What stops one or more of my worlds? And of what value is that? Is there a value in that? And if you don't answer, then I'm just going to play more Broadway show tunes. And if I get on to doing Irish step dancing, then you know we're really in trouble. So if I place my attention on the sensations of the body, I am not in any world. That's my experience because my attention is on the body and it's not anywhere else. One of my worlds is the world in which I take things personally. One of my world is the world where I feel slighted because I've taken somebody else's behavior personally. And I have no idea really in my lifetime of how it is to be very compassionate towards others in that regard. And so my new world that I want to cultivate has to do with learning how to see the other in a moment where I would normally take offense and find some place in myself, in my heart, where I can see them in the goodness that they are, in those moments where they've been a friend, in those moments when they've been wonderful, and also see them in their own suffering, in their own vulnerability, And let that be my world. Well, I think we're in and out of worlds all day long and sometimes throughout the night, too. We can be in a world 
at three o'clock in the morning as well. And I think our world, the world is always based on our perceptions of the world. I can think of one world, which for me would be the world of giving my power away to others and adapting and not feeling grounded and strong within myself and the consequences of that. And I can have all kinds of reactions to other people and point the finger, but really it's the world of how I am with myself and relationship to others. And then there are other worlds. I can think of a world right now. And I love this world. And I don't want to get off. I want to go more deeply into that world. The world of new beginnings. The world of rebirth and renewal. So it's like that's a world that I would say, I want to enter more deeply into this. What is this? Because there's so much creativity in that. So I think we're always moving in and out of worlds. We move in and out of worlds in our dreams, in our conversations, even when we're going for a walk outside. We're moving through the world of nature. So I think that it really has to do with our perceptions and it has to do with the cycles that are activated in our lives through experience and through whatever it is that life brings us. And to me, if I really want to get off, get me out of here, get me off, those are moments for me of great suffering. So when there's suffering and when there's deep pain, there were times of a lot of grief that I experienced. And it's like, I want off when we feel like we can't bear something that we are being asked to bear and that we need to stretch in order to be able to bear. So mostly for me, I want to get off when the suffering becomes so intense. But I agree that we create worlds and worlds are created for us all the time. There's no way to not create worlds. (laughs) Seems like that's what humans do. We're meaning-making machines, we're creators all the time, and our minds are always working and so on. One of the additional questions to add is, what value is it to know that we are constantly creating the world in which we find ourselves? I think the element of responsibility comes into play in many of our personal worlds that we keep creating for ourselves. It seems the situation where I'm the only one that I'm thinking of goes away. If I'm experiencing essence or presence, and the other situation is grace, Mm -hmm. when I feel divine love or grace, I'm liberated from thinking Mm -hmm. myself. Just to name the two ways that I get off the train. For me, sometimes I find myself in situations and they're very similar situations. And I say to myself, hmm, what is the common denominator in this situation? And it's like, oh, it's me. And a lot of times just realizing that will 
pop me out of that world because I realized that I just made that up. I made that world up. I made up this misery for myself. And most of it's not true. There might be a part of it that's true, but when I can see those patterns, then for me, that's recently the most helpful thing. Well, I have two perspectives on this. I know that when I'm in overwhelm, when I'm caught up in my insufficiency in a way and believing that there's so many things that I just have to do, then I'm I'm needing to stop the world and, and get off. But I, I have a question about, sometimes I think it's a healthy thing to come to a point, and, and I'm asking, I guess this is more of a question, <laughs> a point where... I know I'm starting to spin my wheels. I know that there are a number of ways to get back in balance just coming into my body, but also a way is to change my environment, is to shift something about what is familiar so that I'm in a different setting. It's why I like to go on a retreat now and then or take care of my cousin's horses in Maui, you know, and To me, that's a very valid thing. It's almost like if I can anticipate it and give myself a break, i.e. stop the world just a little so I can get off and then I can come back and be more effective, that's not a negative thing. And I'm just wondering, because really kind of what we're doing here is saying that that feeling is always an insufficiency in ourselves. Maybe it's a healthy thing sometimes. We often think of this as being a negative, that we think of it as being resistance to what is, but that's not necessarily what it is. It may be the opening to huge creativity to stop the world, to be able to come into something brand new. And where I want to go next is that the stopping is actually very, very important. And what we're talking here now is what are ways in which we stop the world I'll enumerate some of the ones that are valuable for me that I think are worth looking at. And one of those is what you just mentioned, taking time for a retreat, taking time to deliberately stop, step off the usual way in which I keep showing up and take some time away, take some perspective, even climb a hill sometimes gives us a whole new perspective on the world, on our world on my world. It's not necessarily a negative, but also it can be something where we become internally victimized saying that it's all out there. That's the cause of my suffering. When really the acknowledgement of the fact that I'm creating world upon world upon world upon world that I'm then having to live inside of. And many of those worlds are worlds of being victimized by others by circumstances, which doesn't mean there, there is not pain existing and situations that cause pain, but there is also this individual way in which we twist the circumstances to create a world in which we are victims. That's how it feels to me today as I share this with you tonight. I'm not giving the talk because I have answers, only the fact of some of the things I'm exploring for myself, which is why I'm calling upon you to share what's so for you. I think a way to stop the world is to be aware of and question what am I thinking in this moment? Yes. And really take a look at that and not necessarily believe it. Yes. Well, 
one thing that I am discovering is that I'm much more willing to let go of the story of myself. It took a few years because we're so addicted to the drama. <laughs> it's just such an interesting story and you feel, you feel all these things. And I realized now in my 70s that actually I'm not so into the drama of my story anymore. I'm actually really into peace, peace of mind, peace of heart. I'm willing to give up the story. I'm willing to do what the third patriarch in Buddhism advised us all at the beginning of our journey. The way is simple, just no picking or choosing. <laughs> and to cease to cherish our opinions. He didn't say cease to have our opinions. He said cease to cherish, cherish meaning close to your heart. And, you know, I wasn't really interested in hearing that when I was 30. I was really into my opinions and picking and choosing. And of course, I think it's part of the natural development of the self. But with the spiritual practice, you get to keep looking at what you're choosing. And I'm now much more interested in how do I show up? How do I show up? And how do I respond to whatever shows up in my life? And not picking and choosing. And that has been a great practice. I'm really appreciating that. And I think it comes with being older and not being striving and not building your life up. I think of it as a gift of aging. Thank you so much. Sometimes I think reality hurls us out of the world, however we define the world, the world of our lives. There's like a shattering. There's a falling apart. There's a deep purification because something needs to shift course in our lives. And there are signs and indications that there is truth in that. So sometimes we do need to get off the world. Sometimes we get thrown off of the world and we can become lost. I think that stop the world, I want to get off. When the world stops, it can be a place of anxiety, can be a place of the unknown. We don't have the familiar reference points and bearings of our world anymore. And I think that that's part of that death and rebirth cycle. So sometimes I think falling from the world or getting off however we language it, I think it's what we need to, I don't know if leap an octave is the right word, but even to have our assemblage points shifted. And then it can be something very, very useful, but we have to be willing to like live with and sit with and be in the unknown. Thank you so much for that perspective. Each one of you who's been sharing is so many rich possibilities. This is such an open-ended question. There's certainly no one answer to it, but everybody's been bringing up pieces that I can touch upon and summarize a little bit, and then we'll open it up again for, for more discussion. What stops my world? What stops my creation of the world as I thought it should be or how it always has been? And shock, some types of shock are extremely effective in stopping my world, and they may bring with them incredible shattering. Falling in love is a way to stop a world that I can create. 
And that's a whole new possibility of incredible food and growth and expansion and so on, if it's used as food for the past. So all of the ways in which we stop could actually be used against growth or they can be used for growth. This is why our attention to it and our consciousness of the fact that life is going to offer us ways to stop. We would like, I would like to be stopping before paralysis sets in. It's a lot easier to practice when you have the physical ability, even get down on your cushion. So they say, you know, make hay while the sun shines. While we have the ability to practice, I want to be stopping this ongoing hamster wheel of my mind because dementia sets in and I'm not so sure I'm going to have the ability to do it then. So I'd like to be working as well as I possibly can now to establish a means of stopping the world in a place where my heart is where I'd like it to be, which is at the feet of God or in the hands of God or whatever. So any kind of shock, falling in love, a death, a death of a loved one. No, many of us here have suffered deep grief at a partner or a family member who either died suddenly or died after a long illness. And we found that the world was stopped. And we can use that for the rest of our lives as something that we can use to feel neglected or feel lost or feel like we've missed out on something. Or we can choose to mine it for the depth of our work on the path. It's really about a choice. Which choice am I going to make? So we have sudden shocks. We have ways of stopping the world. I have ways of stopping my world through breath. Just stop and put attention on breath and on the sensations within the body. This is an enormously effective way. Entering into the present moment as it is here and now is a way to stop a world that's whirling in the sense of flinging me into the future and dragging me back into the past. So our attention to breath, our attention to sensation, our attention to attention. <laughs> like, where am I? Where are you right now? Are you here? Are you aware now? There's only one answer to the question, are you aware right now? And that is yes, because you've asked it of yourself. And that's the possibility. That's always the possibility. Am I aware? You have to say yes. There's no other answer if you ask the question. <laughs> so self-remembering. Am I remembering myself now? Oh, of course I am. As soon as I ask that question, I already am. And what that does is it stops my world of whatever fantasy, pain, victimization, same old, same old criticism, or even just luxury fantasy. The term non-identification is really an important one here. Because as soon as we recognize internal resistance, 
or an internal grasping sense, we know that we've been hooked in some way. As soon as we notice a hook, we can become aware that we're identified with something. Something doesn't mean it's bad, but we have a self-definition at that point that has been challenged. Somebody's opinion is different from ours. And as long as we are, as long as I am aware of these little pings to my self-definition, the way I want to be seen and the way I want to see others, then I am recognizing that it's something I'm identified with. I'm identified with the world I have created of who Regina Sarah Ryan is. And that world, I'm constantly creating Regina Sarah Ryan all the time. Can't help it. We're all doing that. We're all creating this illusion of self all the time. And then when it's the least bit challenged or somebody bats an eyelash, like they don't like your hair that day or whatever, then the reactivity is there. I feel slightly uncomfortable. My sense of myself has been touched. So the fact that I'm identified all the time with the way I want things to be in my world, I am identified with my world. And as soon as it's challenged, I have the opportunity then to work, to bring it onto the path, which is why we study self-observation, because we know that these moments in which we recognize that we are identified and which we've been stung, that's like, wow. I remember Arnaud telling us the story as he's told it in his books over and over. And he told it in person many times about when he was leaving the ashram of his teacher, Swami Prajnanpad, he had worked so intensely in the recognition of how everything that arose, the emotions that arose were all opportunities to immediately work, to wake up, to turn his attention from the self-absorption and the reality that these were real into something that he could use immediately for his work and his path. And as he described it, he said he was leaving the ashram and he said, and some kind of an emotion arose in him. And he said, hooray, an emotion has arisen. You know, I have this opportunity to work. That was the way in which he was approaching his life path. For me, I've never forgotten that piece, the way in which he took this arising of emotion as being something that he could work with immediately. Uh, Arno also says that we also have to work on the happy emotions because they are also identification, identifications as well. Mm-hmm. The first thing is we are going to work on the unhappy ones because we don't like to be unhappy. So we're willing to practice in order to get free of that. But then the um, working on the excitement and happy emotions and Yeah, they're also part of the job. Yeah. And what I wanted to say from what I understand of the perspective of Arnaud is that stopping the world is objectively impossible. There's no way we can get off. So we can be in denial, we can run away, but the world itself in its objective sense uh, is just what is, and there is no way it could disappear. Mm -hmm. We disappear from it, but 
it is just there. And yeah, voila. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's always so rich to hear from people on similar topics, but from a, a slightly different perspective. So this is what we do all the time. There is no way to stop this. And yet there seem to be ways in which we can, at least for periods of time, or perhaps we'll call it working with the nature of identification and working with our victimization and working with our being taken out of our center or our space because of our enraptured belief systems in our world, that there are ways in which we can work with those. And we've been mentioning some of those. One thing that I've been clear about, which is why I've stayed around on the path, is that if I try to get off, get out of my world, I'm going to replace that with some other world. You're doing something else, living somewhere else. And that's just not going to be satisfying. I just really get that. I felt at times in the past trapped. I agree with what everyone's saying, of course, that there's no way to stop the world. There's no way to stop me from creating my world. But to me, the way I can work with that is by, as best I can, accepting what is as it is. So when things come into my world to disrupt it, to practice with, okay, I'm resisting or I'm trying to change things, but just to be with that and welcome or allow that into my space, into my world, just by passively, in a way, opening to that, that seems to be a way of working with it to me. In this last little bit of time, I'm going to put our attention only on the word stop, because we've been exploring the nature of worlds and just asking a lot of questions about it, I hope. Some of the questioning has been valuable for you, but let's look at that word stop. One of the ways that I'm able to stop is by practicing Nama. Nama practice puts me on a different level of awareness, a level of calm, a level of peace. Nama practice puts me in relationship with not the specifics of what's going on or what's perturbating inside of me, but puts me in relationship with the tacit understanding of my relationship with God. It puts me on that plane where I can feel the presence of God inside of me just by saying, speaking the name of God and doing it repetitively. That, to me, has been such a wonderful practice, the practice of Nama, because as Yogi Ramsarat Kumar said, and I'm not quoting him verbatim here, but the real true religion is the religion of faith. Mm. That that's what it all comes down to, is faith, having faith. Mm. And when I do Nama practice, I'm saying to myself, I'm going to have faith in this moment that just by repeating the name of God over and over that I have faith that God's going to be with me, close to me, within me, around me, whatever. And that brings me wonderful peace and calm. And that defines my world in a very specific way. 
Oh, thank you so much for that sharing. Once again, thank all of you for all that is being given tonight. What a banquet we're creating together. So I want to stay on this word stop again. And I can't have a talk without reading a poem. So I'm going to read you a poem by Pablo Neruda. And this poem is called Keeping Quiet. Now we will count to 12 and we will all keep still. For once on the face of the earth, let's not speak in any language. Let's stop for one second and not move our arms so much. It would be an exotic moment without rush, without engines. We would all be together in a sudden strangeness. Fishermen in the cold sea would not harm the whales. And the men gathering salt would look at their hurt hands. Those who prepare green wars, wars with gas, wars with fire, victories with no survivors, would put on clean clothes and walk about with their brothers in the shade, doing nothing. What I want should not be confused with total inactivity. Life is what it is about. I want no truck with death. If we were not so single-minded about keeping our lives moving and for once could do nothing, perhaps a huge silence might interrupt the sadness of never understanding ourselves and of threatening ourselves with death. Perhaps the earth can teach us as when everything seems dead and later proves to be alive. Now, I'll count up to 12 and you keep quiet and I will go. Well, that would have been the perfect ending because I did count to 12. You probably did too. But there is one more tiny piece I want to bring to this. And the piece is that we're not surprised that people want to stop the world and get off, that we want to stop our worlds and the world of suffering and pain and confusion and that we want to get off in some way, or we want to stop it in some way. So the question that I'm going to raise for myself once again is, am I choosing to be in this life, in this time, in this period of history, in this terribly disintegrating world, in this climate-changing world, in this world on fire? I would prefer something else. But that is not the world I am in now. I don't have real proof that I have lived previous lives, and I don't have anything to tell me I'm going to live further lives except faith or believing the words of my masters and so on. But in my body right now, this is what I know. And I know 
But there's this tendency, there's this desire on our parts to not have the world be this way. And I think it's a very pure and compassionate desire. But I also think that there's a way in which I can hold myself as being victimized because I happen to be alive at a time when the world is so in such a bad way. My parents, hey, they were in World War II, but for some reason, this seems for many of us, because this is the only world we know, this is the only complete earth picture that we know of. And I think that there is a sense that I may not be choosing the fact that I, I am here for you. I've had several beautiful revelations from people over the years that have brought this to my attention. One is reading a memoir of a friend who was a Buddhist practitioner and her just saying, I am here for you, all my relations. It was a declaration that she was accepting and not only accepting that this was what was, but she was choosing to be here now because of the possibility of her being able to love in this world that's so in need of love. And then I met a Catholic woman many years ago, and she gave me this exact same message. We were sitting with a group and we were talking about, it was some crisis time. It might've been after 9-11. Her name is Maureen. She's deceased now, but I'll never forget Maureen who looked at me and the other woman who was talking to us. And she said, I'm so grateful to God for bringing me alive in this time when the world is in such need of prayer because I want to pray in this time and place. And then the third instruction I received on that, I guess I read it someplace. It was a Buddhist Rinpoche who was dying and his students were all hovering around his bed and they were begging him to come back to them in his next life. And he kind of smirked at them. (laughs) He said, actually, I think the city in most need of help in this world is Mexico City right now. I think they have the greatest need. And so if I have a choice to come back, I'll come back to Mexico City. So I had hoped to be able to have another video to show you at this point, but I couldn't get it to work. So I'm going to have to do it for you. (laughs) And it's a song by a man named John Aston. And what he did was he put the words love, serve, remember to music. And so you can find him on a YouTube video. It's A-S-T-I-N, John Aston. And that phrase, Ramdas uses it. He's used that term, love, serve, remember. He's used it as part of his foundation work. And Neem Karoli Baba used to say, love everyone, serve everyone, remember God, and feed everyone. And it's certainly nothing that our teachers have not all said to us. Love, serve, remember. But the interesting thing about John Aston's song, he's taken this piece and he's put it to music. And the words go like this. Why have you come to earth? It's a question. Why have you taken birth? To love, 
to serve, to remember. And he repeats that refrain, why have you come to earth? Do you remember to love, serve and remember to love, serve and remember? That's all the song is. Why have I taken birth? Why have I come to earth? And the masters, the great masters of all times, speaking to us the answer, to love, to serve, and to remember. It's kind of a nice morning prayer, you know, like, oh, shit, another day. Why am I, why am I here this day? What's the task in front of me? Why have I taken birth now? Why have I come to earth now? To love, to serve, and to remember. And I think that that is the way in which we transform the earth. It's certainly the way in which we are transformed in that kind of service. So for me, that's, um, that's the end. And once again, I do deeply encourage people to take time to stop and make a retreat or make a day practice, make a time of silence, have a daily practice of some sort. I was just involved in a group today and two of the people in the group both talked about the fact that they got on a personal retreat that they made. They had a life-changing understanding that their lives literally changed because of something that came up when they stopped everything else. So I know that this kind of thing is possible, that stopping on a regular basis is really valuable to all of us. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here. And thank you all for the rich food that you offered.